The voice of Husker Nation is on the air. This is Hale Varsity Radio. Insight, opinion, expertise, along with the biggest names talking Nebraska sports. Join in with the show at 402-489-1240 or 1-800-825-5865. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt and Elijah Herbel. Welcome to it. It's a new week. Monday is here on Hale Varsity Radio. We're presented by Currency, Elijah Herbel. And Connor Clark taking you through the show today as Schmitty has the afternoon off. He is celebrating the life of his grandmother, and we wish him well uh, in that. And we send love off to the Schmidt family today as Schmitty will return tomorrow. But uh, today, family is on the mind for Schmitty. But again, Connor Clark and Elijah Herbal taking you through the show today. You can find us and follow us on Twitter at Herbal Essences for me, Elijah Herbal, and at C underscore Clark underscore 27 for the man sitting in front of me, Connor Clark, as we've got plenty to get into today. I'm at Rule meeting with the media on Saturday. We also had Evan Cooper, Ed Foley, and some players meeting with the media following practice earlier today. And uh, also conference realignment. It's it's an evergreen topic right now as today. Some more news on the ACC, where they might go next, what's next for Stanford and Cal, as well as what could be coming next for the Big Ten. So we're going to get into all of that here today. But, Connor, we started off by saying hello. How was the weekend? It's good to see you in here on a Monday. Yeah, hello to you. Weekend was good. Uh, The weekend was off of work, which is seems like a rarity this summer. So that was really nice. Um, And was just be able to hang out, see some friends, watch some fights on Saturday, and uh, just chill out. How was your weekend? So you, you watched the Jake Paul and Nate Diaz boxing I did. match. Did you pay for it? No. How'd you see it then? I just saw it. Answer carefully. <laughs> I saw it. I had my ways. It wasn't me. <laughs> I, was, I was at a friend's apartment. Uh, and they paid for it, and you didn't pay, and I'm sure, yeah. Yes. So I actually didn't get a chance to... Was it worth the, the, the price of admission? Was it worth watching? I mean... I'm not a huge, like, I, I don't get into the technicalities of boxing. Like, it's fun to watch. Like, obviously, I watched the Bud fight two weeks ago at this point. Um, I mean, I thought it was entertaining, but it clearly was, like, from the people who actually watch boxing closely, it was pretty far from, a like, a very good boxing match. Like, Jake was clearly the better boxer, and it wasn't, like, he destroyed... Diaz and again like Diaz is 38 years old he's an MMA guy okay whatever right so it was it was entertaining I mean the build-up I didn't want it like there was so much hype around it just because of the build-up I wasn't gonna not see it so it was no Bud Crawford Spence though no absolutely not you know I had some uh some plans I went golfing uh, with Mitch, listener of the show, Mitch, if you're out there listening, shout out Mitch for uh, for bringing me out to the golf course, uh, along with Tyler and Tommy. So uh, we all went out to the golf course, had some plans to catch the fight that night. They fell through, and I sat there and went, well, I don't want to pay $60 to watch yeah. Paul beat up Nate Diaz. I, no. I like Nate Diaz from his MMA career too right. much, and I'm like, he's he's overmatched here. I, I was I wasn't going to give my money to Jake Paul. He's got enough. <laughs> I think I think you were smart by, uh, by foregoing the $60 or however much it was, but... Yeah, overall a, a solid weekend, and here we are. We're gonna be we're gonna be rocking a lot this week together. So let's do it. Yeah, it's good to be back as uh, Connor kind of previewing. We're gonna be up uh, Schmidt and myself. Connor chained into the studio. Apologies, Connor. 
Nah, it's all right. That's why I'm uh, I'm sitting in there. It's a the, part of the job. I'm sitting in the producer's chair today as I'm doing <laughs> double duty. I'll give you the day off there. Uh, we're going to be up at the Pinnacle Bank Championship up in Omaha next week. The course at Indian Creek is where we'll be, and uh, you can hang out at the Herd at Party Tent on the 17th green. Uh, plenty of fun stuff up there, drink options, food options, and a potential $10,000 giveaway should we see a hole-in-one at the Par 317 this upcoming weekend. So a lot of great reasons for you to get out there, as well as Schmidt and myself broadcasting Tuesday through Friday, every single day remaining this week from 4 to 6 up there at the party tent on the 17th. The so you attraction. can come uh, hang out with us, come see us, watch some golf. That's where we'll be the rest of the week. So we're going to have some fun with that. But where we start this show off today is with football as uh, Connor, let's move back to front on this. Matt Rule met with the media on Saturday. This was following our weekend edition of Hale Varsity, so all this is new since then. We haven't had a chance to talk about it. We'll get into Matt Rule and, and what he had to say to the media on Saturday before we get into our, our cuts from uh, Evan Cooper, Ed Foley, and some of the players uh, from following practice today. We're going to start it off with Matt Rule. Uh, he just very broadly opened up his press conference talking about the first week, what he saw, what he liked, and where they're at, the football team is at the moment. I'm pleased with the first week. I mean, um, it's, been, uh, it's been a real challenge in terms of what we've asked them to do. We've taken, you know, we've, we've taken a ton of reps, ending with like a you, – you, now the new rules, now you can only have two scrimmages in preseason where you tackle over 50% of the time. So we ended with like a simulated scrimmage with some tackling, but not, over, you know, not over, nearly 50%. So really, really pleased. I think we're um, – we're getting a lot of reps, and, and uh, the guys are working really hard. I'm really pleased with our toughness, really pleased with our, uh, our mindset. And, and reps, Connor, that's been the, the buzzword of the first week of fall camp. Everyone's been talking about the amount of reps that they're bringing mm-hmm. in uh, for this team, uh, from the young guys to the old guys. Everyone's getting on the field. Everyone's getting snaps, except for one. This is a, a news flash from Saturday morning, if you will. Teddy Prohaska He's dealt with injuries about his entire Husker career, and he's now dealing with another injury. Uh, Teddy Prohaska is not with the team. He's out injured, and they're hoping to have him back for the first game. Yeah, Teddy got banged up again, so Teddy's out for a little while right now. Um, nothing long-term, but he's banged up, unfortunately. Um, so, uh, you know, he'll be right. we think he'll be ready for the first game. Um, but, you know, so we're working Turner, we're working Gunner, we're working all those guys on the O-line, um, and then we're going to get Teddy back as soon as possible. And, Connor, this is something that we talked about with Gary on the Saturday show. You weren't in for this, so I'll, I'll kind of clue you in here. I personally believe that the offensive line, I believe what the reports are coming out of fall camp. We had the, the Big Ten bus tour with Howard and Jerry. Uh, they mentioned how impressed they were with the depth of the offensive line, saying it was better than they'd seen in a long time. This is what can derail that, though, for your team and really for your offense as a whole. I think a lot of Husker fans out there, whether or not you're an offensive line fan, someone who likes watching like myself, that's where my mind goes whenever I watch the offense just about every single play. I'm going to watch the offensive line first before I watch the play. And we saw last year just how how detrimental that can be to your offense whenever your offensive line isn't clicking, whenever your offensive line isn't moving in unison. And we've talked about that plenty this summer and even early in fall camp now, the importance of, of building that continuity with your rushing attack that's between the offensive line as well as with your offensive line and, and your running back. And now I think the, the warning bells kind of go off for me because this is what can derail your season. A couple of injuries along that offensive line, you're not relying upon freshmen, guys like Gunnar Gatula, guys like Sam Sledge, guys that haven't been around, guys that haven't had that time to, to build up and be ready for the grown men you're going to face in Big Ten defensive fronts all year long. This is what can get concerning, especially when you combine it with the fact that Teddy Prohaska, we love the, the potential of Teddy with that frame, what we've seen from him early. It was going to be such an important fall for him to rebuild that continuity, get back into playing shape, and, and be ready 
for a Big Ten opponent coming at the end of the month, and now that's all in question as they think Teddy's going to be ready for week one. If not week two, we'll hear that from Rule in, here in just a second. But you worry about the continuity issues this could lead to with uh, a guy that is going to be your starter presumptively. It's kind of early to say, but that's what a lot of the prevailing opinion out there is going to be is that Teddy Prochaska is your presumptive starter. He's now losing a lot of that time to build up chemistry with his other offensive linemen with the rushing attack as a whole. Yeah, I mean, it's tough for a guy like Teddy, too, and I know, and I, I, I honestly feel really bad for the guy, too, because, I mean, keeps getting injured and, and the playing time keeps going out the window because of that. But at the same time, I mean, I guess it's kind of the fault of being as big as Teddy is. I mean, it is so hard to physically take care of your body when you're, what, 6'10 as an offensive lineman, right? I mean, there's a lot of maintenance that goes into somebody that's that big and trying to perform at a high level uh, in, in the game of football. I mean, that goes for anybody, but when you know you add the size of Prohaska to him, I mean, that adds uh, a whole other element. I want to go back to, uh, you said reps is kind of one of the big buzzwords, which I agree with. I also think another big buzzword is toughness. Mm. I mean, that has been one that we've heard rules say a lot already in this fall camp period, and I think that's a word that this team really needs to adopt this year. I mean, not that the teams in the past haven't been tough, but they need to be tougher in order to try and win these games that they probably should be winning or those close games that come down to late-game situations you haven't been able to execute. There's one thing to be physically tough, but you also have to be mentally tough, especially in those taxing situations late in a ball game, less than two minutes. Say you're on defense, you need to stop. Say you're on offense, you need to score, right? I mean, how are you going to do that? And I think a lot of that comes down to physical toughness and, most importantly, I think mental toughness comes into a, a big play there. And how do you build that toughness, Connor? Back to your original point, it's through the reps on the mm-hmm. practice field whenever you're repping it out every single day that toughness is what's expected mm-hmm. around here you need those reps and that's where I think that the mind goes with with Teddy and the concern there how many reps has he gotten in his Husker career you, you think right. back true freshman year he had that fall camp and then it was the Northwestern game where he goes down with an injury so you had five weeks of his season before okay you're not getting any more reps this spring you're gonna uh, this fall you're gonna miss spring practice as well we get you back in you're ready for fall camp last year you make it through a couple of games and you have that shoulder injury. And now he's, he's missing reps yet again for fall. Right. Misses spring, comes back, getting ready for reps for fall camp. Oh, the injury derails you again and you're going to be losing out in those reps. That's where the concern goes for me with Teddy Prochaska and that offensive line is as you're building chemistry, as you're building toughness, as you say, to, to be ready for running the football in the Big Ten on a, on a game-in, game-out basis and really committing to that. That's where the concern goes. But Matt Rule did kind of get into the impact of that, that Teddy loss, saying he's feels fine with what Turner Corcoran has behind him and even some of those young guys as they get some reps and they get built up and get ready for Big Ten football. Since I've been here, Turner's been left tackle with the ones every day since I've been here, so that's what I know, right? So I just feel bad for Teddy because he's such a wonderful young man and wonderful teammate, and he was, you know, excited to get out there and get going. But you know what? Um, when, when, I remember when Brody got hurt and the, the Tagaloa family flew out here. I was sitting down with his father and mother, and his father was talking. He told me, you know, he said something that imp- impacted me. You know, you learn a lot from listening to people and parents. His father, you know, was talking to Brody about embracing the delay. You know, sometimes there's a delay in what we want. You have to embrace it. It's really good for me to hear. And so I think Teddy's going to come back better than ever. Um, but, yeah, Turner, Turner's an excellent player. And, you know, we have some young old linemen that have shown up, like the, the Sledge. Um, Catula was here in the spring, but those young guys, they're, they're going to be good players. You know, as Grant Seagren walked on, he's a scholarship-type player. So we, we got some guys that are going to help us. And now it comes down to another big word, uh, Connor, in terms of the first nine months of Matt Rule's tenure at Nebraska, development. Mm-hmm. How much 
development was Turner Corcoran able to, to get this spring and summer? How much development are you getting from a guy like Gunnar Gatula? I mean, it's rare in the Big Ten, but there has been guys that have gotten you valuable reps and, and valuable starts as a true freshman. And you think back to, to Brendan Hymas, was he a little out of his element as a freshman? Yes, but did he still get you valuable reps and that turn into a valuable starter for you at Nebraska? Yes, as well. So I think in a perfect world, you don't want a guy like Gunnar Gatula to be getting a whole bunch of reps as the season gets on. You want that freshman year to be about, you know what, getting the occasional reps against the Louisiana Techs in Northern Illinois. You can bring him in late in the game. You're not going to burn that red shirt, and he can spend Monday through Friday focused on getting better and being the best version of himself that he can be through that first year as opposed to, you know what, every single week it's a new opponent in front of you, and while you're trying to develop, you're also trying to get a game plan down. You're trying to prepare for what Saturday is going to bring. It allows you to focus on, on just yourself as a player if you're not thrown into the fire in year one. And and on one hand, I think you can be excited that Gunnar Gatula's name keeps on coming up as being a guy they're really excited about. I think he's going to play a big role for this Husker football team in, in the years to come. We saw as much in the, the spring game just how different he looked than the rest of the freshman offensive linemen. But at the same time, you don't want that to come at the expense of losing development time here in the fall. And, and it, obviously, it's important to get reps against Big Ten defensive lines, but there's that confidence factor as well whenever, you know what, Whenever you get in there and play Big Ten football, you're ready to go. You're not getting eaten alive. I mean, we've talked to Searles about this, just how much of a confidence blow it was to go play Von Miller as redshirt freshman here down <laughs> against Texas A&M. Like, you're going up against a top-five pick. You're going to get burnt, and there's going to be future top-five and top-ten picks in the Big Ten from that edge rusher spot. How are you able to, to handle those guys as a true freshman? You'd rather give a, time, give a guy time and have him be ready for those moments as opposed to learning trial by error. Right, and... You know, you want to develop the young guys on the practice field so they are ready for that moment when they get on the big stage, right? But when you have an injury, too, and this is something that I'm curious about. I mean, you have an injury, somebody goes down, and the next man up is a freshman, and he's the best guy that's available. I mean, at the end of the day, freshman or not, you play the best guys available that you have. And even like if that's a freshman then that's a freshman. Is that necessarily a problem? No, because, again, like sometimes, and in, in maybe not necessarily in Big Ten football, especially in the offensive line, but sometimes being thrown into the fire can be one of the best things for you. Now, again, it could be against the Louisiana Tech, as you mentioned, or Northern Illinois, or a non-conference game that you, you're pretty confidently probably going to win, right? So you can throw them into that situation. I think that would be great because especially if you have a lead and you know, you're know you going to win the game, give them that opportunity. Put them in front of those 90,000 people. Put them in a game-like situation because it's the only way that they're going to get better. Yes, the practice field can only do so much for you. You can get out there and get reps every day, but at the same time, you're going against the same dudes every day, right? You throw them into that game-like atmosphere, and, and you know, I mean – it's totally different, from, different. From, from the practice field. I mean, you, you get out there, adrenaline's pumping, everything kind of gets 10 times faster, it almost feels like, once you step in between the lines on game day. So that's something I'm interested about. But if, if the freshman that's backing up, uh, Prohaska, is, is the best available, then he's the best available, and, and he's got to be ready for the moment. It, well, and you say he's got to be ready for the moment, but it also comes down to the coaching staff making sure they're ready for that mm-hmm. moment. If this is the best guy you got, 
you better make damn sure that he's got the playbook down. He's ready to go. You're spending extra hours in the film room with him, making sure he's got that confidence right. before he steps into that moment. There is an element of taking some pressure off of the player and saying, you know what? It's on me. I'm going to make sure you're ready to go for this game. It doesn't fall down to you. Last right. thought here from Rural before we step aside, take a quick break. Uh, he says, not focused on the depth chart right now. This is something we'll hear from Evan Cooper as well. There's focused on development and getting guys reps for now. I'm not looking at depth charts at all right now. I'm, I'm sort of just trying to get everyone ready and then we get to that third week that's when we start sort of my history has been you know every year that I've been a head coach in college someone that started the year off on the scout team was starting for me by the end of the year and every year I've been a head coach in the NFL a guy that we cut ended up starting <laughs> so I'm, I'm really big on coaching everybody I'm not here just to coach it so um, you know Eric Fields I'm trying to get him ready to be a starter you know Dwight Boodle I'm trying to get him ready to be a starter and if they are they are if they're not you know then they'll be that much better when their time does come so some, some thoughts from Matt Rule following Saturday's practice. We'll have more thoughts from Husker coaches Evan Cooper, his thoughts following Monday's practice. That's coming your way after the break here on Hale Varsity Radio as we're presented by Currency. And now. And now. Back to Hale Varsity Radio. Rolling through a Monday here on Hale Varsity Radio. We're presented by Currency, Elijah Herbal and Connor Clark with you for today's show as Schmitty has the afternoon off. He'll be back with us the rest of the week as uh, we laid it out in the first segment. We'll be up at the course at Indian Creek for the Pinnacle Bank Championship uh, the rest of the week as we'll have practice rounds on Wednesday. We'll be watching a uh, Pro-Am as well on Tuesday and then the tournament as a whole gets going on Thursday so you can come hang out with us 4-6 to six at the 17th Green. That's where we'll be. We're excited to see you up there but uh, football on our minds today is we had Husker coaches and players meet with the media today. We heard a little bit from Matt Rule back in that first segment and we'll get a little bit more from Matt Rule here before we get to coach Evan Cooper as he dove into the, the secondary, uh, especially with the news that Miles Farmer is going to be leaving the team. This is a big topic of discussion for us last week. He, he feels good about the safeties and really feels good about the entire defensive back room as there's a lot of inexperienced guys in that room, but a lot of guys that he feels good about as he's seen their first week of fall camp. I think the safeties are one of our strengths. You know, Gif, Gif, uh, Isaac Giffords, I mean, he is he's an alpha back there right now. Uh, he's had an amazing summer. Um, real, I mean, the jump that I've seen Gif make – his mentality, um, you know, you don't really realize until we did time and day how athletic he is, you know. I mean, he's a 35-inch vertical, 10, 10 and a half broad, 4'5 guy. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a multi-year probably NFL player, you know, in terms of his talent. And his mindset's come a long way with it in terms of just being, hey, taking control back there. Um, you know, so, you know, Deshaun Singleton's playing really well. You know, Omar Brown. You know, we, we got a lot of guys back there. And I'm really pleased with the young guys, the, the young people we brought in. So, um, I think we have a lot of players who can play. We have a lot of flexibility. Um, Tommy Hill is just – Tommy Hill's probably the turnaround guy from the time I got here till now. Um, he's, one of the, he's become one of the leaders, I think, on the defense. And so, we have between Newsom, him, and, and Hartsock, we have some guys that can play multiple positions as well. So, uh, I, like our, I like our strength in the secondary. I think we're going to be really good. And kind of quickly before we dive into that that thought as a whole, Matt Rule asked, you're, you're throwing Isaac Gifford in there along with the other safeties. Did he make the move to safety? The Rovers are safety in my mind. Like, um, you know, like we, you know, we go to the post player, he's going to be in the post. Like, you know, before he was playing like that nickel Sam in last year's defense, he's not that. I mean, he's, he's in the back end. So he might drop down in the box. He might be a deep third player. He might be a half player. He might be playing man. So to me, uh, Giff gives you the ability to play all of those positions right so um you know obviously he was in a battle in the spring you know he, he's the guy right now and it might you know we're trying to get the other guys behind him ready to push him and we'll always just play the best three safeties 
So when you think about that, the flexibility, the three, three, five, Connor, I think Isaac Gifford is the guy that represents that with, you know what? Third and medium, third and long. He's going to be playing as a defensive back, but second and five, third and short, he's going to be down in the box playing that linebacker role. He's, he's that, the flexible guy that can really do it all that you think of when you think of the three, three, five. And I think that's why Matt rule hops up there and talks about, you know what, this could be an NFL guy. We're really happy with what we've seen from Isaac Gifford. And, uh, as he kind of laid out back in the fr- first segment, Eric Fields is a guy that we feel good about too. Once we get him there, uh, he's he's working at it. But Isaac Gifford there, along with Eric Fields, being two guys that really define what that three three five should be in terms of its flexibility. When it's nice to hear that guys are stepping up after the departure of Miles Farmer. Now, obviously, it's a big loss, but at the same time, and you mentioned the flexibility of, of Isaac Gifford in in particular. I mean, he could move up in the box. He can go back in the secondary. He can play man. He can play zone. He can do this. He can do that based on the situation on the field. And he'll probably be one of three, four guys that can do that for you by the end of the season once everybody really gets a full year of the 3-3-5 under their belt. I mean, this is a defense that has been described as positionless. It's a defense that has a lot of different variations. You can use a lot of different personnel out there as well so I'm I'm pretty interested to see what this looks like come August 31st I mean this is going to be really interesting throw a new look out there for these Big Ten teams to see that they really haven't seen from Nebraska Um, so I'm excited to see what this can do for this team and just the versatility of some certain guys including Gifford as again rule highlighted in that clip um, to, to see what he can do whether that's in the box, in the secondary, on third down, on first down. It's going to be really interesting. And versatility is an interesting word to use whenever you you hear what Evan Cooper had to say this morning. He talked about the fact that this defensive backroom is going to be cross-training. Guys that are playing cornerback, you know what? They're going to be ready to step up as a safety. Guys that are playing safety, they're going to be ready to go as a rover, like, say, Gifford, or, or uh, even a corner as well. The, the cross-training is something we heard a whole bunch from the offensive line in recent years. We heard a little bit about it with the defensive backroom, but it's something that Evan Cooper is really, really emphasizing here to start fall camp. Uh, like I said before, those guys, they're all just DBs, you know. I want to get them all ready. You know, I might need Malcolm at safety. I might need Quentin at safety at, at some point. I may need Tommy at safety at some point. So as much, the more that they can do, the more they can do. So I just want to cross-train them and make sure that they know what they're doing. If I have to throw them in an emergency case, something like that. Uh, the rover's a little different. I kind of cross-train the safeties at rover. But the rest of it is all the same thing. So there's uh, defensive back coach Evan Cooper on on what he wants from his defensive backroom is it's kind of that versatility. That's the buzzword with the three three five. It's not just with your linebackers, it's with your, your secondary as well, according to Evan Cooper. He dove into some of the individual guys, uh, including Gifford, who, as you heard Matt Rule just say, called him an NFL guy. He dives into uh, a few of those guys, Corey Collier, Omar Brown, Tommy Hill. Thoughts on them coming here in just a second. But first, uh, what Evan Cooper has seen from Gifford and why Matt Rule kind of sees him as one of those NFL guys. Everything I need to see. Uh, he's tough, he's competitive, he works his butt off. He's relentless, he's disciplined, he's a violent player. Um, he's the captain of that, of that group. You know, he's trying to push us to somewhere we haven't been, so I appreciate that from him. More on Gifford and his development, the strides he's made this offseason. Uh, he's growing more, com- more confident in himself, and, uh, and he's stepping out of his shell a little bit more, you know, getting on the guys and trying to push him. Like I said, he wants it really bad. You know, he wants it as bad as I do, and he's bringing the group along. So, yeah, it's been good. So Isaac Gifford is uh, going to be a big piece of this defense in 2023. And uh, we, you look at some other places, though, on that defense, especially that safety room. Who's going to step up there? Gifford as that rover spot, kind of a safety hybrid between safety and linebacker. But somebody's got to fill the shoes of 
uh, Miles Farmer after his departure. Three options, Tommy Hill, Omar Brown, and Corey Collier. We'll hear a thought on each from defensive backs coach Evan Cooper. We'll start it off with Tommy Hill. Consistency. You know, I think that's where it starts. You know, those guys just coming and showing up, being the same guy every day, attacking it, trying to work hard, you know, trying to be the brand that we set for ourselves. And I think he's done that. Uh, quite honestly, I think the entire group's done that. So I like the direction that we're headed in. His thoughts on Omar Brown and his potential to fill that, that safety spot. Yeah, I think Omar could be one of our better players. Uh, again, the day in, day out. You know, he's trying. He's working at it. Uh, he's very gifted, you know. And we'll pull him through it. We'll pull him through it. He's just got to keep working. And that's it. And Corey Collier, the Florida transfer, who we think, at least I talked about last week, as being that guy that probably is the most like-for-like like with Miles Farmer in terms of build and in terms of what he brings to a football field. Just an everyday grind. You know how it is. Some people are ready uh, before others. You know, it takes some time for some people. Um, he's just attacking it every day. You know, I'm proud of his effort. He's been working fighting through some injuries, and that's it. That's all I can ask for. I have zero problems with Corey's physicality. He is a physical person. He wants to be tough. He wants to be physical. Zero problems with that. It's just a day-to-day grind, you know. All players go through it. It's just a day-to-day. So when, when finding that starter in the safety room, what's Evan Cooper going to be looking for? I like to fuel the competitive fire. I want him to be competitive. I want him to fight, nail, and tooth, and claw, and scratch for everything they get. I want him to compete at everything because that's what life is. Just showing up and competing, that's it. So that's how the room is going, and that's what, I mean, I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to seeing him. So it's Evan Cooper discussing that safety spot and what he wants uh, from a safety now that Miles Farmer has departed. And, Connor, we haven't gotten a chance to get your thoughts on the Miles Farmer departure, what it means, and we now get some thoughts from the, the coaching staff. How comfortable do you feel with what that safety room can be now that Miles Farmer's out the door? It's a room that, it's got guys that have played a good amount of football and guys that have been around the program for a while when you think of, uh, Tommy Hill, whenever you think of uh, Omar Brown. These are guys that have been in a college program for a long time, but they haven't ever quite put that on the field, especially during their time at Nebraska. What are your thoughts on what that safety room is shaping up to be in 2023? Because the defensive back room was something that we felt was almost set in stone entering fall camp. You thought you had a good four with uh, with Newsom, with Miles Farmer, with Malcolm Hartzog, and then uh, with Marquise Buford once he fully returns from injury. You thought you had that four set in stone, and now you're, you're listening to, to comments from the coaches. It feels a little bit more wide open than that. What's your, your level of concern? Or I guess on the flip side, it could be what's your level of optimism for that defensive back room? Obviously, there's a hole in the room with the departure of Farmer. And I think that the whole thing that went down and his you know transfer that came of it, I mean, yeah, it's disappointing. But at the same time, I mean, it is what it is. And, and guys have to step up. And I like the fact that there is, I guess, parity, if you will, in that room. I mean, it's not necessarily a bad thing. And you just heard the word compete. I mean, I think that's important because now that you have a guy that leaves and, I mean, there's another spot open for the taking, right? And you need guys to go after it. And that's something that... This team in the past couple of years, I feel like, has kind of lacked a little bit is that competitive edge. Not that they don't want to compete at all, and that's not what I'm saying, but they could raise that level. And the fact that they're able to do that now, I think is a good thing. And again, a a concern is the fact that Farmer is no longer there, but the optimism is 
who can step into that role and how can they flourish? I mean, we just talked about freshman offensive linemen stepping into a role potentially. It's kind of the same thing here. It doesn't necessarily have to be a freshman, but somebody maybe didn't play as much last year. Now they get their chance to try and step into that starting role. How do they flourish in that role? How do they get the repetitions? How do they you know, conduct themselves in practice? How do they make sure that they are ready in case their number is called to go be in that starting 11 group in Minneapolis about two and a half weeks from today. So um, that's, I think, the optimistic part of it is saying, hey, go after it. If you want this spot, you got to come take it. And I think that's a good message to be preaching within your locker room and within your position group. Well, and the the message that you're preaching is essentially the fact that that none of this is set in stone yet. Yeah, there's guys that have played a lot of football here, but if the Miles Farmer situation is any example, just because you played a lot of football doesn't mean you're going to be a presumptive starter. You have to do things the right way on and off the field if you want to earn that role. And Evan Cooper, more from him, is he talks about that depth chart. It's, It's not even close to being finalized in his mind. He's not worried about the depth chart. He's worried about development, finding guys who compete, the guys, the type of guys that they want to have on the football field, and that will kind of play itself out as fall camp goes on. But as of right now, that's not his concern. Uh, so right now, we I'm just trying to lay the foundation as far as training camp is concerned. I'm not really worried about the depth chart. You know, those things, they play, it'll play itself out all the way through season. Like midway through the season, I won't know, you know, and we'll just keep working at it, keep shuffling it around and just see who's available and who's accountable. And then we'll go from there. Last thought from Cooper here as he lays out kind of, yeah, I'm laying the foundation here early in fall camp. What is that foundation? What do you want from your defensive backs? Just consistency, you know, being an everyday guy, being the same guy every day. Um, you know, to get it gets tough during the season. I just want to see who I'll be able to count on. That's it. Those guys that show up every day, those are the guys who I want to go to war with. So that's thoughts from defensive back coach Evan Cooper following uh, Nebraska's Monday practice as uh, – I think that'll do it for us here, Connor, in a, in a first hour in terms of thoughts from the coaches. A lot to get into there from Rural and from Coop. We'll have some more thoughts as the week goes on as uh, plenty of media availability. We'll have some thoughts, though, on Big Ten expansion, the Pac-12, the ACC. That's all coming your way here later this hour. It's Hail Varsity Radio. We're presented by Currency. And now. And now. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. Monday rolls forward here with Hale Varsity Radio. We're presented by Currency. Elijah Herbal and Connor Clark taking you through this Monday show as we still have plenty to get into here remaining in the show as we're about to get into uh, some more thoughts on conference expansion. We've spent plenty of time on Oregon and Washington over the past couple of shows, but some more clarity on what might be coming for Stanford and Cal as well as uh, maybe what that means for where the Big Ten goes next. We'll also have Charlie McBride and Jay Moore each joining us in hour two as a part of a Monday Black Shirt Hour. We've been doing that for a couple months now, and the Black Shirt Hour has been a ton of fun. So we'll get Jay's thoughts on what we're hearing out of fall camp, his thoughts on Washington and Oregon, and we'll talk uh, fall camp with Charlie McBride as well. But, Connor, let's dive right back into conference expansion as maybe some clarity on where the Big Ten goes next. The report today from The Athletic, this from Nicole Auerbach, that the ACC is in the early stages of exploring the idea of adding both Stanford and Cal as members. And while this could just on its face be, you know what, Stanford and Cal are going through the exploratory options. The ACC is looking at it and saying they want more. I think you can use this to clue yourself in on what's going on with the Big Ten brass. I think with Washington and Oregon already in the boat, I think that idea of Stanford and Cal most likely has already been discussed now that we know that Stanford and Cal, or or maybe it's just from the ACC, either way, 
the powers that be know that Stanford and Cal are still available. And I think that if there was plans to, for them to go to the Big Ten, that would have been discussed last week. And a plan would have been created for that last week. And I think you now look at this, maybe it's Stanford and Cal knowing they need something that's going to keep them afloat. Maybe it's the ACC seeing the writing on the wall and understanding Florida State and Clemson and North Carolina and Miami, they're going to want to be getting out soon. We need to replace these members. Regardless, either way, I think today's news lowers the possibility of Stanford and Cal being Big Ten additions, and it ups the possibility of the Big Ten going to the ACC to add its next members because I guess we get into this real quick if you'd like, Connor. I am firmly of the opinion that the Big Ten is going to get to 20 or 24 in short order. I, like, I'm not sure that there's going to be a 2024 season played with just 18 members. I, I think they're going to move faster than that, and maybe it's 20 to start, and then a couple years down the road, once you get a little bit closer to the ACC's TV media rights deal ending, or, or maybe Notre Dame can see what happens once they're not in a conference now with the, the two super conference mm-hmm. era beginning. Uh, you maybe have more possibilities that way, but I don't think 18 is going to be where the Big Ten stays, and if they do, they're not going to stay for long. So the, the question for me becomes, where do they go next? And it doesn't sound like Stanford and Cal are the two. Yeah, I don't think that the Big Ten necessarily wants Cal or Stanford. And, I mean, that's nothing against them, but at the same time it is something against them athletically because, I mean, you look at a Stanford football game or a Cal football game, look at how many people are in the stands, right? Look at the success that they're having on the field or lack thereof. Their basketball programs have not been up to snuff either over the past handful of years. And if they're going to join the Big Ten, I mean, yes, both of those schools bring world-class academic standards to your conference, which is a good thing. I mean, that is, I'm not knocking that whatsoever. But when you're looking at it athletically, I don't think it really makes very much sense whatsoever for the Big Ten to add those two schools. I think who the Big Ten added from the Pac-12 was money, Um and they they chose well and i to your point about expansion even more i wouldn't be surprised if they went to 20 right now 24 to me seems a little aggressive but then again i mean all this is just kind of moving super quickly and i hate to use kind of a covid saying here but this is a very fluid situation (laughs) so um, I, I at the same time, like it may be hard for me to see 24 teams in the Big Ten right now, but we could be in December talking about how the Big Ten has added four more, six more teams, and they're going to go into 2024 or 2025 with X amount of teams. But and as far as them joining the ACC, I really, yeah, I I think you're right. I think they kind of see the writing on the wall that they they are going to lose some members and they need to replace them. My question is, and this is like this isn't me saying that they shouldn't add them. I need to look into it more. But are Cal and Stanford the best possible replacements that you could get for the ACC? Well, and, and there was a great story out today from the Athletic. This is from Stuart Mandel and Scott Doctorman on on kind of the revisionist history of adding Rutgers to the league. Where at the time Rutgers was seen as as huge. You're adding that New York TV market, and everyone in New York now, whenever they add a sports package to their cable bill you're going to be adding the Big Ten Network. So you're going to be getting yourself in on a whole bunch of different televisions in New York City. And what's changed since then? Well, everyone's gone to streaming now. It's not as important to get a, a package in on cable. And obviously, people still have cable, but their, the market share of traditional cable, the Comcast, Time Warners of the world, Dish Network, that's all gone down as people go to streaming. You can pick and choose what you want to get. It's not as important to get into those big markets anymore. 
And and with Rutgers, you look at their 10 seasons in the conference, 13 and 66 in league play. And despite the huge, huge windfall they've gotten from Big Ten media rights deals, they're more than $250 million in debt with their athletic program. So it's it's a bit of a black eye whenever you think about the fact that Rutgers, from a football point of view, they're not carrying their weight in terms of viewership for the, the TV markets. What was going to be great getting them in, in to, to New York, it did help for a few years, but that's become less important in the area of streaming. You don't want to be adding schools like Stanford and Cal that could potentially lower your TV buyouts because they're not carrying their weight. You have to ask yourself, right. with every single school potentially making upwards of $60 million from TV media rights, what schools are going to be able to bring in $60 plus million in media rights? And I don't think Stanford and Cal are those. Like, when was the last time you watched a Cal game on TV? Uh, it's been a while. I watched and... maybe one Stanford game last year, and I shut it off at halftime because they were so bad. Like, they're going to have to reinvest in their infrastructure, these schools, they're going to have to make a concerted effort across the entire university to put more thought and more focus into getting fans into this program. And if they're not getting fans in, despite the TV money you're going to be making in the short term, you're not going to make those gate sales. You're going to continue spiraling into debt like Rutgers has over the past couple of years. You have to find the programs that are going to be able to carry their weight. And I think whenever I look at Stanford and Cal right now, the academics are great, but they're not going to be able to carry their weight from a TV media rights point of view. It's a shame, too, with Rutgers. And you and I talked about this before we got on air here, too, about, I mean, when it comes to Rutgers football, New York doesn't really care about college football. It's the Jets and the Giants. Well, it's, it's the same as, as Berkeley. Right, exactly. If I remember correctly, Berkeley has professional football banned in the city. Yeah. Like you can't even play professional football games there. Nobody shows up. You have your 5,000 fans that show up to Stanford games. Like the 49ers do well for themselves out in that area. But if you don't have the interest of the local environment, it doesn't matter if, if you get those teams in now in the area of streaming because you have to make that conscious choice now. I'm going to purchase this streaming package that has Big Ten Network included. It's different than what it was back in the cable years where you're going to buy the sports package and Big Ten Network it just is going to come with it. And now you're in all these other TV sets. It's a different era now. Yeah, and I think Rutgers has been worth keeping around for the Big Ten as a conference lately because of their performance on the hardwood it's gotten substantially better and they're a pretty good baseball program too but I mean Rutgers is at the end of the day a basketball school I think it always will be a basketball school I know they went through a huge drought but like that's that's where they make their money is basketball and they don't play in a huge arena I mean the rack is about 8,000 people so if that's where you're making most of your income it makes sense they just built a new facility I can't remember if it's for football or for basketball I'd have to look that one up, but they just built a brand new facility. And when you're not getting that football drawn, I know everybody's kind of sick about, well, why are these moves only being made because of football? What about all the other sports? Football generates the money. And that's what keeps the schools afloat. So at the end of the day, that's going to be the sport at the forefront. Yeah, the sport at the forefront. You think about Rutgers opening new facilities. What are Stanford and Cal going to have to do? If you want to be competitive in that football environment, which is why you joined the Big Ten, you're going to have to make additions to your infrastructure as well. We'll get more thoughts on this after the break as Hale Varsity Radio rolls forward on a Monday. And now. And now. Back to Hale Varsity Radio. Wrapping up hour one here of Hale Varsity Radio as it's Elijah Herbal and Connor Clark taking you through this Monday edition. Schmidt will be back for the rest of the week. He is uh, currently at the celebration of life for his grandma. So we send love out to the Schmidt household and the Schmidt family as uh, they remember her life and her legacy. Again, Schmidt, though, will be back the rest of the week as fall camp never takes a day off. 
And uh, despite the fact that Schmitty uh, gets the day off today, Connor and I will be taking you through and doing the best that we can. As uh, we've got plenty to talk about, we hit thoughts from Matt Rule and Evan Cooper a little bit earlier this hour. If you missed that, that's going to be available in podcast form shortly following the show. We'll also have uh, our interviews with Charlie McBride, which is coming your way next segment, as well as our uh, sit down with Jay Moore also a little bit later next hour. That's all going to be up in podcast form. You can find the full show in video form on the Hale Varsity YouTube page if you, if you prefer to consume it that way, both live streaming and available with no commercial breaks shortly following the conclusion of the show. But Connor, let's put a bow on conference realignment in our, our discussion last segment. What are your thoughts on Notre Dame? There's been a lot out there about Notre Dame and their potential to join a conference. It sounds like they're getting closer and closer to a TV media rights deal. I'm of the opinion, though, that that conference play will be changed forever by the moves we've seen over the past couple of weeks and really over the past couple of years with the Big Ten going to 18, what the SEC is going to become. With there being two major players in college football, and then you have the Big 12 and the ACC trying to hold on. Is there going to be an agreement there? You know what? Big 12 and ACC, they're going to play together so we can go pitch this to TV meteorites and make more money. The Big 10, are they going to shut out Notre Dame completely and say, hey, if you want to play our schools, come join our conference? And the same could be said for the SEC. With TV media partners ruling the roost, how much longer is Notre Dame able to stay independent? We know that's what they want to do, but I think that's what the next big domino of college football realignment is. What happens to Notre Dame? It's an interesting conversation because Notre Dame, I don't, I don't think anybody's going to want to break that tradition of being Notre Dame, the independent football team, right? Because that's just history. I mean, they've been one of the most storied programs in history without being in a conference besides the COVID year, obviously. And it all depends on, yeah, if they, if they lock in that media rights deal. I mean, they've had that thing going on with NBC for a while now. Um, which has essentially just been the flagship channel for Notre Dame football, unless they're on, say, like an ESPN game or, or whatever the case may be. But yeah, that's going to be interesting. I it kind of pains me to say this, but I think they they might be forced to join a conference at some point just well, because of how, as you said, how everything's changing. Well, with the potential for twenty plus team conferences, you're going to reach right. point if you remain at twelve games. Teams aren't going to have that many non-conference opportunities to go play a school like Notre Dame. Exactly. That, that's where I think that the hand gets played is if you have to expand conference schedules, if you go to a 12-game season with 10 or 11 of those games being conference games, what room do you have for Notre Dame? Do you want to get a warm-up game in or do you want to get a game against Notre Dame? That's what the question is going to become, and I think that's what could force Notre Dame to join a conference. Yeah, and for the Big Ten, it makes sense geographically, and I know that really hasn't been a subject of conversation with adding all these former Pac-12 schools now, but it makes sense geographically, and the NBC is now a part of the Big Ten media rights deal. So, I mean, there you go, and, and they could still broadcast Notre Dame games. Maybe it won't be as consistently, but that kind of works itself out for you. So, I mean, Notre Dame has always been the team that has had the questions around them. Will they join the Big Ten at some point? Who knows? They're Big Ten in hockey. So, I mean, who knows how far they'll go in that. But it's definitely a potential uh, potential program. And we'll see what becomes of Notre Dame. Do they swallow their pride and join a conference because the money becomes the, the biggest factor? That's what remains to be seen. We'll have uh, thoughts from Charlie McBride as well as Jay Moore coming your way next hour as Hale Varsity Radio rolls forward. The voice of Husker Nation is on the air. This is Hale Varsity Radio. Insight, opinion, expertise, along with the biggest names talking Nebraska sports. 
Join in with the show at 402-489-1240 or 1-800-825-5865. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt and Elijah Herbel. Welcome to it. It's uh, hour two of Hail Varsity Radios. We're presented by Currency, Elijah Herbal and Connor Clark taking you through hour two of the show today as Schmitty has the afternoon off. He'll be back with us the rest of the week as we're up at the Pinnacle Bank Championship 4-6. to six. Come see us on the 17th green. Plenty of food and drink deals if you're getting up and watching that corn, ter- corn fairy tour event. So we're really excited to be up there for the remainder of the week. We'd love it if you came and checked it out and Kim and said hi. Maybe buy us a beer. We'll see what uh, we get into wow. the rest of the week. It's a shameless <laughs> plug. It's a shameless plug. Just kidding. Uh, more likely that Schmidt or I will buy you a beer if uh, you make your way up to the Corn Ferry Tour event. Uh, we start off a Blackshirt Hour 2, though, with the man himself, Mr. Blackshirt, Charlie McBride, joining us on a Monday edition of Hail Varsity Radio, back for his usual segment. And Charlie, with the, all the conference realignment out there and uh, with – fall camp getting underway it just feels like football is back especially with the hall of fame game and the uh the, the hall of fame induction over the weekend as well how are you doing there's excitement in the air it feels like yeah i think it's uh you know around here uh, they don't of course the universities aren't that close here where where i am but all the high schools are going and they're practicing and you know it's getting pretty exciting i had one of the uh, coaches come over here and ask me if I'd talk to the team at, later on. And uh, so, you know, those kind of things. There's two schools here that are uh, that are close to me. And, uh, you know, so I usually get by and watch practice. And a lot of times they don't know I'm hanging around. But, <laughs> you know, I'm kind of, they think, I, at first they thought I was a spy, but I guess I, <laughs> I, 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 I passed, you know, so. But, I mean, it's it's. That that's that kind of takes up some of my time a little bit, you know. And then there's three or four schools. But uh, the other day, one of the my granddaughters here, and she has a real good friend, and she brought a couple of guys over with her. And then, boy, they were both two good-looking kids. They, you know, they were in their yeah, they're probably about two sixty, two seventy right now, and linemen and you know they're from little schools and you know so i think a lot of these guys you know some of these kids get really get passed up and that but that's an example of what happens you know in nebraska and how kids can appear you know uh all of a sudden come out of the woodwork mm-hmm. uh we had we had kids from i don't know if people ever heard of dicks nebraska dicks nebraska <laughs> You know, I mean, they, that town is the one-horse town. Everything's closed. But, uh, you know, that that's that's the kind of kids that, that come to Nebraska and end up winning for you. Uh, Charlie, that town, is that with an X or a CKS at the end? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Charlie <laughs> <laughs> McBride with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. And, Coach, I want to backtrack for just a second. You mentioned the fact that you show up to high schools, go watch some practice, and Sometimes the the coaches think that you're a spy. I remember from my high school coaching or my high school playing experience, that was always a concern. Man, is, who, who's that in that car up on top of the hill there? Who, why are they watching our practice? Is that a dad or is that another coach? Is that a real thing that is even uh, talked about in, in college football? Are you worried about spies during fall camp? 
Well, I was I happened to be coaching at a, a, a high school on the south side of Chicago one time. There's probably about 3,500 kids in the school, but the thing that happened, I was the only coach, and uh, they, we didn't. I didn't even have any, any assistants. And the thing was, is one day one of the kids came to me, and I had the, I, the wrestling coach would come out and help when he got done with practice, and he was at the other end of the field with with the uh, with the defense. And I was down there with the offense, and and then one of the kids said, "There's a guy in a car over there, and he's writing stuff down." You know, and I'm thinking, "What's he learning from us?" I mean, you know, it's crazy. And the next thing I know, I I look down at the other end of the field, and there's nobody on the field. They're gone. You know, I wondered what happened. Well, they went over and they tipped the guy's car over. He had a Volkswagen, <laughs> and they. <laughs> And they well they tipped it over, and they got it. And then they had a guy had made them get it back up. And they that guy went to the police station, and the cops came over and arrested me. You know <laughs> well they didn't they didn't really arrest me, but they made like they were going to. And and <laughs> you know it was, but I mean that's just and he was writing stuff down. Well, but, was he still in the car when know, it got tipped? Don't spy on Coach McBride. Yeah. <laughs> uh huh. We said just don't spy on Coach McBride. Was he still in the car when it got tipped over? Yeah, he was in the car. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, yeah, he was in the car. They tipped the car over. He was in a Volkswagen. The kids took the car and tipped it over in the middle of the street. Of course, he was they still in the car. Back up again. They made they made him get it back up again, and you know the guy's still sitting in the car. <laughs> he didn't get hurt or anything. And so and he went and told the police, and the police came over, made a big deal out of it. And uh, but then finally, when <laughs> they found out what he was doing, he kind of they kind of smoothed it over, and everybody was happy. And the kids got out of about a half hour of practice. <laughs> <laughs> Team building activity with yeah, right. Charlie McBride right there. What, what, was he actually spying on you guys? No, yeah, he was writing stuff down. You know, that as far as I know, he was. You know, it. Uh, uh, I didn't. I didn't go in to grab the guy's papers or anything like that. But you know, the, the kid said that he was writing stuff down, and he he didn't just he didn't say he wasn't. You know, so, and I didn't really ask him the questions. The policeman was asking him the questions. You know, so I just kind of stood there, and you know, and then they they said that I'm responsible for the players. So you know. They basically, you know, kind of threatened that I was going to get, you know, arrested for the thing happening. And I think it just got smoothed over okay, and it just went on its way. (laughs) So it was was exciting, you know what I mean? It was different because, I, you know, I wouldn't expect something like that, you know, to, to ever happen. And we were in the open. I mean, the school was, uh, we were behind the school. That's all we have is some area behind the school. And, and they're, you know, it's the sidewalk in the street. And there's the field, the sidewalk in the street, and that's it. There he is. So, all, 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 there's cars parked on the street all along, all along there. And uh, so it wasn't like he was alone out there. It was, he was, he was in a parking spot and, you know, and I, I didn't pick up on it. The kids at the other end of the field did. 
That's an all-time story from Coach Charlie McBride, who joins <laughs> us here on a Monday edition of Hale Varsity Radio. And Coach, let's dive into some football here, uh, as opposed to spying. And I guess we'll we'll transition this here as if there's something <laughs> I could spy upon with the Husker football practice, I'd love to know what that defensive backroom looks like. That's something we talked about back in hour one. Miles Farmer, he's since left the team. His name is in the transfer portal. It's left some question marks in that defensive backroom. And Coach Evan Cooper got up there, had good things to say about most of the guys in that room, but he also said. Right now, I'm not worried about the depth chart. I'm worried about laying the foundation for what I want from my defensive backs. And I want to get your thoughts on that as we're uh, about three and a half weeks away from the first game of the season. Do you buy the fact that he's not worried about depth chart right now? uh, In general, here's the hard thing. Uh, I happen to be listening to the Big Ten channel, and I caught uh, the head coach talking about their concentration in practice was Nebraska. Okay, and here's here's something that you have to you have to understand that number one, they're concentrating on Nebraska. Our kids are concentrating on laying the foundation of the team and learning the plays and learning the you know the the uh, the different things that go with it right now. So you know, here's one team at the top of the you know that you're playing is every day is it's Nebraska, Nebraska, Nebraska. And sure, they're thinking about Minnesota, but they have some other things in front of them because it's the new staff and everything else. Now, here, here's—I'll just throw it out—is here's here's a, a, a you don't know what kind of coaches they are. I mean, sometimes they might send a guy down here that lives down here that's a Minnesota guy. Said, "Why don't you go stop by practice and watch him?" Well, that practice is pretty well locked up. You know, you can't do that much anymore unless you're looking over the fence or something. And so it's not that bad. But but as I, as I said, one team is getting zeroed in on Nebraska, and that's their, their whole purpose of practicing while they're practicing. They're, they, they, I think they played Syracuse last year, if I'm not mistaken. And if they did, they saw that defense as it is. So there's some... There's some feedback off of that a little bit. And, uh, of course, you know, coming to a new school, there's some new things the guy would put in and so forth. And I don't know those. And we don't, none of us do. So, so you don't know. But the kids are, their main thing right now is, is forming a team and chemistry of their team. And, you know, they talk about brotherhood, which I think is really good. And so probably next week or the week after, they're going to have to they're going to have to drop some stuff or stop, you know, the teaching part and get down to the execution part. Really, really work hard at it. Coach Charlie McBride is with us on Hale Varsity Radio. And coach, you mentioned that they're focusing on Nebraska right now, not Minnesota. They're focusing on themselves, which is important under the new coaching staff, as you highlighted. When you were on the staff at Nebraska, how much of that fall camp period? was being focused on yourself, even with the same staff from the year before. And then when did you guys start focusing on that week one opponent? Well, I, that's why I mentioned that he said that they were focused on Nebraska every day. I, I think at the beginning of practice, of course, we had two a days. Then, and uh, I think it went from 20 at one time to 15 and so on and so forth. But the thing was is that our our morning practice was the running game, and our afternoon was the passing game. Pretty much, it's 
kind of centered around those things. But uh, you 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 were always thinking about who you're playing. But see, we didn't start out with a with a with a league game. That's really hard. I mean, for anybody, for them, for us, you know, for for anybody. And so, uh, but we we probably went through. I'd I'd say half the practice, and then we'd start zeroing in probably the last week and a half or so toward that. That the team we're playing now. If we were playing a league game, I'm sure it might be sooner. But we never, I've never experienced that, so I don't know exactly when we'd start. But I would guess probably at least two two weeks uh, before we would really start to zero in on it. Uh, but most of it was getting our stuff, our foundation laid every year. No matter what the kids knew, we still went back and. Over it again and again and again and again, and uh, uh, you know, I football's a game of execution, and that's what we tried to do is execute everything, you know, to a T, and it doesn't always happen. <laughs> it's Coach Charlie McBride here with us on Hale Varsity Radios. Coach, we've got about two minutes left here. I need to get your thoughts on Big Ten expansion and the conference realignment we've seen in the past week as the Pac-12. <laughs> It's pretty much no more. Oregon and Washington headed off to the Big Ten. Those are the two main talking points. I want to get your thoughts on what do you, what do you make of the fact that the Pac-12 is going to be no more, and then what are your thoughts on what Oregon and Washington bring to the Big Ten? Are you excited for that? Or are you sad about well, the death of the old college football? Where, where are you at there? You know, anytime you're anytime you got teams that are have mo- monumental uh, population, and uh, there's 40 million people plus in California. Okay, and so there a lot of those teams, even Oregon and, and, and Washington, you'll find feed off of California mm-hmm. and do. But the population area coming that state, you're looking at what ours, what are we, 2 million people in, one, in our state? You know, so it's a whole different can of worms as far as we have to work like heck and travel like heck and go all over the place and, you know, and all over the country, and and as you know, we got Hawaiian kids, we got kids from Florida, we got kids from all over, and uh, I remember one year we had kids from every uh, either border or ocean. They touched their state, touched either the the Canadian, the Mexican, or the ocean on both sides, and they were from those states, and nobody from in the middle except four or five kids from our state. It's crazy the way it goes, but that's what that's what happens, and that tells you something about the distance. It's Charlie McBride with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. Charlie, I think we lost you for a second. Oh, did you? Well, I, I'm talking a little bit about the distance. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. You know the the population and so forth. It's, so, it's so what, you, what you're saying is out there and easy to. So, so basically, uh, you think that you the know, addition of those West Coast easier. schools provides some some. A recruiting boon to Nebraska potentially in the the near future. Pardon me. The the, the advantage in recruiting is what is really big about this move with uh, the West Coast schools. Well, the recruiter he he's got an advantage a little bit in Texas in that he has a background there and he has some good friends, and that's a good thing to have. Now Texas is loaded with people, but you got how many schools in Texas? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, and and recruit there. So you you've got a massive amount of schools that are recruiting that state, and and it's probably one of the top states in the country. 
you know, along with Georgia and Florida and some of those states, Pennsylvania, Ohio, you know, are pretty populated. And uh, that's that's where Nebraska's always had a problem is is, is being able to go out and uh, and get kids, you know, from all over the parts of the country that'll come to school there because of the population of the state itself. At the time I was there, it was a million and a half. So, you know, compared to California with 4 million, 40 million people, it's just a little different. It's Charlie McBride with us here, a Monday edition of Hale Varsity Radio. And Charlie, that's uh, all the time we got today. Appreciate your time here this afternoon. We'll talk to you next Monday, all right, bud? Okay, I'll be here. Talk to you later. Thank you. Bye now. All-State, two-year starter, and rush in for the Big Red, and NFL vet. Is Dudeness or uh, Duder or, uh, you know, El Duderino, if you're not into the whole brevity thing. It's Blackshirt, Jay Moore with Hale Varsity Radio. Back in here, it's Hale Varsity Radio, uh, presented by Currency, Connor Clark and Elijah Herbal. As the Blackshirt Hour continues, we welcome Jay Moore to the show. You can find him and follow him on Twitter, at jmore44. And Jay, busy weekend of conference realignment. The weather was nice. Did you get out on the golf course like me and Schmitty on Saturday? We, we went in separate groups, but we both got out there. I think his game was a little bit better than mine. Did you get a chance to get out there? I know you've been uh, you've been dealing with that hip a little bit and trying yeah. to get out with the, uh, with the golf no, course this summer. Um, yeah, I was able to play. We had our like, club championship out at Firethorn. and. Mm-hmm. Um, I, um, even even being a little banged up, I, I, I had to win it last year, so I had to go back and try to defend. So I uh, did not – was not su- successful in defending my title. Uh, so the golf course beat me up pretty bad on Sunday. So, But I did get out and play, and the weather was fantastic. I uh, played with a lot of good dudes. So all in all, it was uh, it was a lot of good times this weekend. Yeah, I had to make sure to get out there, Jay, uh, before the Pinnacle Bank Championship start this week. Schmidt and I will be up there Tuesday through Friday. We'd love to see you up there, Jay. And I tell you what – I was terrible everywhere except from within 50 feet. Within 50 feet, I was fantastic. The chipping, the putting was great. I don't think I hit a good iron shot all day. And really? maybe on the front nine, I had a handful of decent drives on the front nine, and then I just lost it on the back nine mm-hmm. completely. The weather heated up. The humidity got me a little bit. So not perfect for me. But, Jay, let's dive into some football here as we had Matt Rule meet with the media on Saturday as well as Evan Cooper a meeting with the media a little bit earlier today as they had some uh, some good things to say about Isaac Gifford. We'll get to that here in just a second. But uh, let's go back to forward first and start with some of the thoughts we heard from Matt Rule back last hour from his Saturday morning presser. And, Jay, he talked about how excited he was about the youth of the defensive line this year, saying there's some guys that were here in the spring, Princewell and uh, Cameron Linhart in particular, that he says are ready to play now, and some other guys are going to be ready to go uh, once the season moves along. And, Jay, I want to get your thoughts. It's something we've talked about before, getting young guys ready to go on the defensive line. He says he wants six to seven guys that are going to be ready, and he thinks the young guys are going to play a part. I want to get your reaction uh, to those young guys and and how they're going to have to step up as the season goes on. Yeah, they will. I'm sure some guys will get banged up, you know, mid-game or or miss a game or two. Hopefully not, but if you want to be, you want you want them to be as prepared as possible, in case of Ty Robinson, Elijah Judy, you know, some of those older guys that we're going to rely on to step up and play get banged up, and they need to step in there and go make some plays. But it's it's you saw it. That's kind of the nice thing about getting them in the spring and get them acclimated to the process and to the teaching of Coach Knighton uh, early on. And you saw it during the spring game. Those guys flashed. Those young players. Uh, during the spring game, made some nice plays. So 
not surprised to hear that they're that they are slated to contribute this year. And you got it's that's uh, those that's one thing you got to have is is you got to develop the youth. You got to make sure they that they're ready to play. Uh, be interested to see. Just you know, I know being young, the game moves kind of fast for them, but I know it helps being brought in. You know, they came in during spring ball, so I hope things have slowed down for them. But just how complicated do you want to make things for these young players? Are you are you going to call a certain thing out there for your older guys, or are you going to try? You know, when your younger younger guys are out there, you got to keep it simplified for them, or you know, you're just going to try to bring them up to speed as quickly as possible. But I, I love to hear that the young guys that they're going to lean on them, have them contribute. But again, they're still young. You know, there's there's they're going to make some mistakes in there, and I and I hope that everyone stays healthy. The the main starters uh, on that three three five defense are able to, you know, play. You know, 80 percent of the snaps, if, if need be. You know, I know they're gonna get some, gotta get some breaks every now and then, but uh, I always like to hear that the young guys are are coming along very, very quickly, efficiently, and that's you, know, and especially the guys that came in last spring. You, you hope that they are a step ahead heading into fall camp. Jay Moore is with us on Hale Varsity Radio, and Jay, I want to get your thoughts on Jeff Sims thus far on the offensive side of the ball. What have you heard from him, and uh, what is your reaction to? the bit that we've seen from him thus far, whether that's film or whatnot, uh, throughout this fall camp? Yeah, I think a lot still has remained remains to be seen for him because we know they've impl- they've implemented it and they've reiterated, you know, how, many, how much they want to run the football. You know, Matt Rule said he loves the, the group of running backs he has, and they've, you know, they said they want to use a fullback. They want to huddle. Uh, you know, they did certain things. They, he loved the way that they did things at Temple when they ran the football. Matt Rule said that. And so that being said, how much is Jeff Sims going to be involved in the QB run game? Because QB, QB uh, depth is an issue. It's probably an issue, I think, at every school that you go to, uh, and even in the NFL. You know, you never want to have to rely on your backup if you don't have to. And the reason they're, they're backups at, uh, at this point as well. So uh, I know, you know, he was very, very efficient at Georgia Tech before. They ran him. You've, I've seen plenty of highlights making him – if they've thrown some beautiful balls, you know, passes over the middle, touch passes. Uh, he's able to put some zip on it. He's able to use his legs. I can't remember what defensive coordinator I was. I was uh, just reading some stuff about Jeff I, yeah, last year. I can't remember which one it was in the ACC, but he said he's he's really hard to tackle. He's really hard to uh, to take down the pocket. And he's a big he's a big guy. You know, he's all of six four. I, I think Satterfield says he's built like a linebacker now. So with that being said, I imagine he's gonna be involved. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if there's going to be four to eight design QB runs for him, whether that's in a zone read, a QB power, a QB counter look. But I think you're going to have to utilize them. I think anymore in today's college football, you got to use a, you, if you can utilize the QB run game because now you have to, you know, you need all eleven guys in defense to to, to matter in the count of how how the play's broken down. So that you know, touching base on that again, it's. Uh, we had we what we saw in the spring game. I think it was very simplified. I don't think they asked too much of him. We saw him make some good throws there. We you know, and uh, it's all just going to be predicated on you know if they're able to run the football. If they're if they're able to run the football, that means you have good offensive line play. Can they give Jeff Sims some time to, to throw the ball? And then these young receiving crew, this their new receiving crew that we have, and then with the with the bunch of the, with the three to four good tight ends we have as well. You know, he has a nice little package put together for him, but. I just don't know. I haven't put I haven't put much stock into what we saw in the spring game. If that's if that's exactly what it's going to look like, August thirty first when we play Minneapolis or Minnesota. 
Jay Moore is with us here at Hale Varsity Radio. And Jay, you mentioned some of the young guys. Matt Rule also talked about those guys on Saturday. And he said what stands out about them is the speed they bring to the field. But what they, what they need to get down right now during fall camp is just getting this offense down, uh, knowing the playbook and knowing where you have to be at any given time. And Jay, you're, you're a guy who lived with a high-level quarterback at Nebraska and Zach Taylor. You room together. And is it just that for the young guys? Because we hear so much, and we heard that from Jeff Sims at Big Ten Media Days, the importance of building chemistry with your wide receivers. How did Zach go about doing that? And, and how does a quarterback build that chemistry with a young wide receiver who is trying to learn the playbook and build chemistry and get himself on the field early all at the same time? How, how does a quarterback go about doing that? Yeah, there's multiple ways to go about doing it. I think some guys can be more involved in meetings with the wide receivers up it's you, if you watch hard knocks you see it all the time the qbs usually sit with the wide receivers and in, in meetings and talking about things and saying hey on this route against this coverage i need you to see this and sit down here or i need you to break this off and go here because that's what need this and the wide receiver coaches are obviously getting that across to the player but sometimes when you're hearing it from the quarterback that's building that trust and that relationship that you're that you need that's so important from the timing aspect but then it just comes down to also spending more time on the field. You might go out there, you know, 10 to 15 minutes before the walkthrough or the stretch to walk through some stuff with your wide receivers. You might spend 10 to 15 or 20 minutes after practice throwing some certain routes that maybe you, you struggled with during practice. You know, the, hey, we had this, this seven route against cover four, and I need to do this and not that. Or, hey, this was man. Uh, break this off just a little quicker or come back to the ball a little quicker or whatever it is. It's just there's so many different variables. But with young players, I think it's just gaining the trust of what the quarterback really wants because you can talk about it, you can see it, you can break it down all film. But until you can actually do it on the field and then also talk, walk through it, be there with your QB, and then do it against the defense, you know, that's, a whole, that's, that's another aspect to it. But um, – I'm sure all those things are being are being done with between Jeff Sims and and Billy Kemp and and Marcus Washington. I know he's banged up, but uh, um, and those other those other young receivers that they that they've uh, that they've had come in and the tight ends. So it's just little things, but again, it's a process. And we're, you know, it's only week two right now of of camp. We still got a couple weeks left to go. So that that relationship still probably being developed and, and trusted as we speak. Jay, on the Big Ten Network fall camp tour, they asked Matt Rule about the importance of, you know, buying into running the ball, using the fullback, kind of that Nebraska football culture that the fans want to see. How important do you think that is for this team to really buy into that? And as for Matt Rule as a new coach to really try and, you know, get into that Nebraska culture football-wise? Yeah, I don't think it's going to take much for the for the guys to buy in from. I think you're kind of bought in already and you better be, you know, this, at this part of the, the process uh, with the new staff and learning everything, you, you better be bought in. Otherwise you might as well go into the transfer portal. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, but I, I don't think, I know the fan base, myself included is going to, is going to love to see it. And again, I'm still waiting to see what that's going to look like. What are we going to, are we going to get into a 22 personnel, which means two tight ends, two backs or a 21 personnel with, uh, two backs and one tight end or whatever, you know, is it, is it going to be out of the shotgun? Is it going to be, you know, more of a spread look? We, it could be multiple, right? Uh, and I think they might want it to be multiple uh, as, as the season progresses and goes on. But the, 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 the biggest thing is you have to get that physicality across that you want to run the, run the football to your team, to your offensive line, 
they got to understand that, hey, we're running this thing 60, 70% of the time. And you better be working on it, developing it, you know, have that mentality. You can always, you, you say off his line, you know, you, get, you, you, you want that, but you, you, better, you better freaking want it to get that done and, and own that time possession. And you get in the four minute period where you need to get one first down, you win the football game, and you got to be able to run the ball. And you got to be able to run the ball when they know you're going to run the ball. Nebraska has not been able to do that for years. So having that mentality is, you know, it's third and three, man, and we are running it. And you, you know wholeheartedly we're going to pick up this first down and get this game over. We know we're going to pick up this first down and keep this drive going to keep the defense off the field. So a lot of a uh, lot of di- little different things that go into it, but I, I can't wait to see it because I truly believe they are going to win the football. I, I really do. And you just have to. It's the Big Ten. Uh, you can't throw the ball in November uh, or late October, and you got to own the time of possession because you can just go down you know, the history of – and that's just the, the, the game in general, but that's why – Wisconsin has been so good, and, and Ohio State, I know they're, they're more dynamic, but you still get Michigan in their uprising here in the last couple of years. Their ability to run the ball, control the game, utilize multiple looks, have an have a elite offensive line, those are all things we're trying to be. So Jay Moore with us here on a Monday edition of Hale Varsity Radio as it's part of the Black Shirt Hour. The Black Shirt Hour continues as we'll have one more segment uh, sitting down with Jay. Jay joins us for this extended chat every single Monday, and it's uh, great to get caught up with him. we got to get Jay's thoughts on Washington and Oregon, further Big Ten expansion, Cal and Stanford. All of that's coming your way as Hale Varsity Radio rolls forward. Presented by Currency. Again, one more segment coming your way with Jay. It's three minutes away here on Hale Varsity Radio. And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. Jay Moore with us here, Hale Varsity Radio. A few more minutes with Jay as we talk fall camp and the weekend that was. And Jay, the big story from the weekend, we have to get your thoughts on it, is Big Ten expansion, Oregon and Washington into the conference as uh, the Big Ten becomes the Big 18, if you will. Oregon and Washington, what do you think they bring to the conference in terms of a, a football sense? And what side of the coin are you on in terms of excited for the future but nervous about what this could mean for Nebraska as the conference just gets better and better from a football sense? Yeah, it was just a matter of time. Mm-hmm. I know we, I think we discussed maybe a, a week or two ago, and I said the Pac-12 is toast. <laughs> they are, they are, there, is, there is no more Pac-12. You know, I, didn't, I didn't think it was going to move this quickly, but sometimes you gotta, you got to make moves. And we knew the, the Pac-12 was always going to struggle to get a TV deal because of just the time frames of their games. I mean, you're playing a 7 o'clock game. No one's up at 10 o'clock on the East Coast unless it's – I don't even know if it better be – even if it's a USC-UCLA type of game, you know, where it might be a, a top-10 matchup. I mean, it's just the, the times for the games are, are, are tough to, to make it work for national TV coverage. But it's just becoming the conference – you know, it's not no longer a Midwestern conference. It's a national conference. The Big 12 is the national conference. The ACC is still the ACC, right? But we'll see how that's going to look. SEC is becoming a national conference. And not surprised. It's just it's just the evolution of the game, the money with the big contracts. And athletics fund most universities. You know, and that's that's just how it is. And you gotta you gotta have the TV money, you gotta have the attendance, you got to uh, you gotta be among the best of the best. And if if you if you can't get there, then you got to figure something out, and that's what that's what USC and UCLA saw. You know, they saw the writing on the on the chalkboard early on, and then you saw you saw you know Colorado make that move, and then Oregon and Washington. Not surprised, you'd heard rumblings about them potentially coming over. Makes total sense. I I love getting the best of the best. I 
I'm not too concerned. I don't want Nebraska. Go, oh man, we got too many good teams in there. You know, man, you know, hell with that. Let's let's get be- let's become better than them. We can beat those guys. We can hang with those guys. There's no reason why we can't hang with a, with everybody in this conference. I, I I truly believe that. So I hope we get I hope we get more. I would be surprised if it's up to 24 teams here in the next two years. You know, you could you could get you could get a a Notre Dame. You know, we've heard Clemson, Florida State. You know, I, I don't. ACC is an interesting uh, the t- uh, territory as well. You know, are they going to go pluck those other Pac-12 teams? Or are they going to fall apart as well? It's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how this all you know evolutionizes over the next you know two three years. But it's moving quickly, and uh, I think it's fun. I know the the there's some people that wish it was still the you know the Big Eight and uh, the SWAC and all that you know all those different conferences that were back in the early 90s. But it's uh, it's the money is is crazy now. And the student athletes are getting it. The universities are getting, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80, you know, million dollars a year for these TV contracts. And uh, everyone, everybody wants a, you know, a piece of the, of the puzzle. And, you know, some of those other Pac-12 schools just didn't move quick enough. We'll see what happens. But the, the ones that were able to look ahead and see, you know, what the, what the writing on the wall was made their moves. And I'm, I'm pretty sure they're happy about it. Jay, if uh, Nebraska is playing at 9 p.m. on a Saturday night in Eugene, Oregon, are you down to hop on the post-game show? It'll start at 1 a.m.-ish, and I'm sure we'll have a lot of fun. I'm sure everyone will be very sober for that. Yep, I think I, I think it was, what, what maybe five, well, about seven years ago, Nebraska played at Fresno State, mm-hmm. and that was like a 7 o'clock kick there maybe, so it was like a 9 o'clock kick here. That's the only time I've ever fallen asleep during a Husker game. I could not keep my <laughs> eyes awake. And it was like 1230 and the fourth quarter was going on. And I just, I fell asleep and I woke back up and it was post-game coverage. So, yeah, I'll make it work, though. Now, Jay, when we talk about expanding the conference, and this is always something that I kind of go back and forth with, is the money part obviously is, you know, a, a driving factor in this with football. But you also have now Seattle in your TV market. You have Los Angeles, obviously. And you pair that with New York and Chicago. So you have the big TV markets. Now you also add a huge brand in USC, UCLA, and Oregon now, too. I mean, to you, what is more important when it comes to this expansion? Is it the brands or is it the markets that the Big Ten is gaining? Well, I think it's the brands. You get you get New York. I mean, how good a brand is Rutgers? You do get New York. But Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA, those are great brands. Nothing against Rutgers, but I just – I don't. I mean, to be honest, how many people actually pay attention to Rutgers, you know, football or basketball in the New York area? I don't know. Like, it'd be interesting to see. I don't. I mean, I'm sure there's data on the numbers you could catch, but I do think it's more brand based. Um, you obviously you want to get those markets. I, I I can't disagree on that. But you want the blue bloods, you just do. And uh, Rutgers. I mean, no offense to Rutgers, they're not blue blood really in, in anything. Now, like Maryland, they're a blue blood basketball school. They're becoming. In uh, in football and, and you know they're they're tough to beat in baseball, and but you but Oregon, you know men's basketball uh, and men's football that's it you know Washington a great uh, a great football school uh, they've had uh, you know basketball great history in their you know in basketball and those we're talking about the, the the sports that make money for the for the university I'm sure there's other uh, great sports at other these institutions but they just don't make the money that you, that you need to do to make these uh, universities work. And, and that's why you got to go get some conference money, right, from TV deals because not all these sports make money. Uh, but, yeah, getting USC, 
And that's a big brand. That's, you know, USC's a Coca-Cola and Apple and Nike, you know, that's, you know, same with UCLA. And I, I see the same with a Notre Dame and, and then a Clemson, a, a Florida State. Those are all major brands. Those are those are Fortune 500 type companies that you want to be a part of and have in your, you know, quote, you know, your portfolio of teams uh, to build your conference with. And it's I think it's I think it's fun to see. I'm, I'm glad I've, I've, we're, we're seeing it now. And I just it's kind of fun just getting these mega conferences. I, I, I truly do enjoy it. Jay, before we get you out of here, do you have a eulogy for the Pac-12 conference, the Conference of Champions? Will, will you miss what the Pac-12 brought to college football? Because there's been a lot of that over the past couple of days. People, on one hand, you can be excited for the future, but you can also be sad about what was, and the Pac-12 is going to be a what was type conference. I personally, at least my generation being 20 years old, we haven't seen the, the Pac-12, at least in football, be the Conference of yeah. Champions. Does, does it have or leave any lasting impression with you, the Pac-12? Not a lot. Uh, I do. I've always enjoyed watching the Rose Bowl. Mm-hmm. You know that was that was something the Big Ten, Pac-12, or Big Ten, Pac-10. You know, back in the day, that was always something I truly did look for. You know, to watch. Uh, but it just it just grew stale. Mm-hmm. It just has. I mean, there's you know USC carried the, carried some weight. You know, with Pete Carroll teams, and then Oregon carried it with the Chip Kelly teams and, and Washington's carried it here, here a little bit but other than that it's just been a lot of Utah's you know Utah's been solid with Whittingham but I mean that's what four teams the eight others have not carried their weight I just they just have it and uh and that's how that's how you, you lose as a conference when you're just very very mediocre at everything uh you know Arizona's had their the basketball you know history but you know the Arizona State not much going going there, the uh, you know Colorado struggling. You know you just go down to all those teams that are getting left out. Cal, I mean I can't tell you. I mean has Cal done much since Aaron Rodgers and Marshawn Lynch left? You know basketball wise, no. Mm-hmm. So listen, the, the the best of the best in that conference went out and moved because that's you know the it's like a group project, right? Those those four schools are holding up their end of the bargain. The other eight were just kind of like sitting there, letting those other guys do their work, and they got tired of it. And they said, "We're out. We're tired of doing all the work. We're going to go make our money. You guys aren't holding your end of your bargain. You're keeping us from getting more money. We're going to go and and be part of something bigger and better." Jay Moore with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. You can find him. Follow him on Twitter at jmore44. And Jay, we'll get caught up with you next Monday. You enjoy the rest of your week, and maybe we'll see you up in Omaha for some golf. Yeah, I'll try to get up there, and if I do, I'll I'll be sure to reach out. And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. Wrapping up a Monday edition of Hale Varsity Radio, we're presented by Currency Elijah Herbal and Connor Clark taking you through the show today, and we got into a whole bunch. If you missed it all, you can catch it all in podcast form. That includes thoughts from Matt Rule following Saturday's practice, as well as. Uh, Coach Evan Cooper following Monday's practice. We got into all that back in hour one, as well as some brief thoughts on conference realignment here in hour two. It's been the black shirt hour as Charlie McBride led off hour two, an all time story. Uh, high school football. <laughs> How he dealt with spies that involved tipping over a Volkswagen Beetle. That uh, again led off hour one. You can check that out in podcast form. And then Jay Moore, an extended sit down as we talked fall camp and conference realignment. So all of that available in podcast form, or you can check out. The full video version, if that's how you prefer it, on Hale Varsity's YouTube page. We'll have the commercials cut out shortly following the conclusion of the show. So that's a great place to check that out. You can also find Connor on Twitter at C underscore Clark 27 and myself 
Elijah Herbal. You can find me on Twitter at Herbal Essences. You forgot an underscore. At C underscore Clark underscore 27. I forgot the second underscore. Yeah. <laughs> the jokes write themselves. Yeah, point, oh, they sure do. <laughs> and, uh, and Connor, where I want to go to close this show is to Chicago. No, we're not going to talk about Lollapalooza, uh, even <laughs> though I'd like to. We go to the Chicago White Sox. They were taking on the Cleveland Guardians. This was making the rounds on social media this week. An all-time call in a baseball brawl. Shades of down goes Frazier. It's down goes Anderson. A swing and a smash to first by the diving Vaughn. Down the right field line. Kicks into the corner. Ramirez on his way to second. Head first slide. Safe and in to score is Jimenez. And another hustle double. Right over the bag at first. Now Hosey and Anderson square off. They're fighting. They're swinging. Down goes Anderson. Down goes Anderson. You know, so he's been waiting to pull that one out for years. He's had down goes Frazier in the that back of his legendary. mind. He finally got his chance. If you miss the fight, it's like a it's a blind overhand right from Jose Ramirez that catches Tim Anderson on the jaw. He goes down like a sack of potatoes. And I'm not usually the one that is like gonna promote violence and fighting on this show. But also, like on a night where you had Jake Paul and Nate Diaz, we got our money's worth in, in baseball with <laughs> yeah. Tim Anderson. As a Chicago kid, I know you're a Cubs guy. What's your reaction? I thought it was extremely entertaining. Yes. I mean, <laughs> if you take a step back from like, man, is this good for the sport and a good example to show the kids? No, it's not. If you, if you take a step back from that, it was pretty damn entertaining. I'm, you know what? I'm always here for a good baseball brawl. I know it's not a great example, but. Uh, I mean, every now and then it happens, and that was that was definitely a good one. And it's like hearing I, – I don't know the play-by-play guy for the Guardians. I don't know his name, but I always thought that he was, like, really good at his job when the Cubs were playing them in the World Series because a lot of the highlights had his calls over it, and I, he absolutely nailed that. And the down goes Anderson and, like, oh, my gosh, they're fighting at second. Like, it, it is, it's hilarious, so <laughs> – um, Tim Anderson has definitely been getting it on Twitter. He's been trying to defend himself on Twitter, but everybody kind of thinks he's going crazy. I, I don't know, but as a as a Cubs fan, it never hurts to see the White Sox lose in, in more ways than one. Funniest thing I saw, and if, if you didn't catch the video, right before the, that right hand connects to, to Anderson, he's throwing like a left jab to the body, and people are saying like, dude, it's not a boxing match. You're in a baseball, bro. Why are you throwing shots to the body? He squared up immediately with hands up. <laughs> yeah, he did. The umpire gets the hell out of there. Yeah. Uh, that'll do it for us, though, here on a Monday. You can catch anything you missed in podcast form. Chris Schmidt, back tomorrow as we're broadcasting from the Pinnacle Bank Championship, 4-6. to six. That's when we'll talk to you again. A Huda Media Production.